This morning we're going to look at Acts uh, chapter 3, but before we do, I need to go back to Acts chapter 1 to remind us because in Acts chapter 1, uh, the key verse in Acts chapter 1 is what? Anybody remember? Verse 8. Verse 8. Acts 1 8 is the key to the whole book of Acts because it says, if you remember a couple, three weeks ago as we began this series, we talked about how God had, uh, Jesus had, had uh, begun the process of telling, hey guys, I'm going to leave this earth. I've already gone through. I've been crucified. I've been resurrected. He spent a period of time, 40 days plus, with his disciples, with his followers. And as he did so, what he did is that he, um, in a real sense, what he did is he he uh, told them, he said, you need to wait for something. You're going to need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And as you wait for the Holy Spirit, what you need to do is to realize that the Holy Spirit is going to come in your life and empower you to do something that you've never been able to do before. And that is that you'll be able to to be my witnesses. And it says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so as, as we look at this whole every week, as we look at the Scripture, what we're going to be doing is we're looking at how this is fleshed out in a real sense throughout the book of Acts. And I ask you the question, why do you study, study Scripture to start with? Just so you can have be more informed? Is that the reason to study Scripture? Uh, I hope not. Um, I don't know where you are in your walk with God, whether you're still kind of figure out, well, maybe I'm not really sure about Jesus Christ or I've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord or whether you're a new Christian or Christian, you've been a Christian for a number of years or whatever. The thing is, is you need to understand that God wants us to not just study Scripture for the fact of getting more informed, but to actually apply it to our lives. And truthfully, the book of Acts is one of the most applicable books in all of scripture, I believe, because it really teaches us something about what it is to be the body of Christ, to be the church. It's more than just something that comes together, a group that comes together on Sunday mornings. It's more than just a group of people who, uh, who uh, go through some motions. It's a group of people who are called to a mission, and that mission is to be a witness for God in this world. And so we began to see that. So the people waited. And then in Acts chapter 2, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about Acts chapter 2. And we saw how this began to flesh out. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And then the people were able to do some things they had never done before to be a witness for God. So we come to chapter 3 today. So what I'm going to do, it's going to be real simple this morning, okay? I'm going to read a portion of Scripture. Then I'm going to ask a question. Then I'm going to comment on a question. And so we have five portions. I've broken chapter 3 down into five portions of Scripture. And then we're going to have five questions that go along with it. So hopefully these questions will be the application part, the part where you say, okay, that's what it means for me. And that's how do I apply these, these verses. So let's begin with chapter uh, 3, verse 1. And I'm reading now the New Living Translation. You may have other translations as well. New NIVs, great translations, New American Standard. There's tons of great translations. But I just wanted this morning to read from the NLT, the New Living Translation, uh, to give you uh, a taste of what that sounds like. Chapter uh, 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. You need to understand the Jewish people uh, spent lots of time uh, specifically in prayer, uh, 9, 12, and 3. This was the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Now, I ask you a question. Uh, he was already kind of, you know, there. He was looking for some stuff. He was looking for people. But Peter wants his attention because he said he's going to tell him something. So the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. That's what he expected. That's what, that was what he was asking for. 
But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now, I'll read this first passage, this first thing. It's about this encounter with the guy at the temple as they were going into the temple. And and, and the question I want to ask you this morning, I think that's raised up here in this passage is this, is that do I believe that God can meet my greatest need? Do I believe? Do you believe? Let me personalize it. Do you believe that God can meet your greatest need? Because if you look this passage of Scripture, what do you see? The guy was asking for what? What was he asking for? He was asking for money. He thought that was his greatest need. If I get some money, I can uh, meet my, pay my bills, I can eat, I can do whatever needs to be done. Uh, that's what he, he wanted. He thought his greatest need was money. But as Peter and John came to him, encountered him, and were empowered by God's Spirit. Remember, this is the book uh, of where, where we see the, the people of God empowered by God's Spirit. As they encountered him, they realized that his greatest need was not at this point in time for money. His greatest need was something else. And so we see them uh, begin to ask this question. Do you, you, know, uh, do you think that we can heal you? And so he, he begins to he, they heal him. And what they do is they, he jumps up. He's excited about it. And he meets, they meet his greatest need. The question I, I thought about this, and I reflected upon this for a while this week as I was reading this, is do I even know what my greatest need is? Do you know what your greatest need is? You may think you know what your greatest need is, and I may think I know what my greatest need is, but is, am I always uh, uh, that, that wise to be able to think that I know what my greatest need This guy thought it was money because it was an immediate need. Sometimes we think that something may be the greatest need when it really is not the greatest need. And the thing is, God wants to do in our life, and we see this throughout Scripture, He wants to meet our greatest needs, and He wants to, to, to encounter us at the place of our greatest need. But one of the things I find out through Scripture, and as you read throughout Scripture in multiple places, you will see in a real sense that what it is is that so often it's, it's our unbelief that God can even begin to meet our need that holds us back from God's blessings. Sometimes God's blessings are, are in forms of, of, it's not always, you know, what we would like. Our greatest need, you know, what maybe, some of you maybe have, maybe my greatest need is humility. How would God meet that need? What would he do to meet the need of humility? Let's just be God for a minute, okay? If you were God and, and, and you know, and, and you knew somebody, not looking at them right now, whose greatest need was humility, how would you go about meeting that need? You'd probably have to place them in a situation where they'd have to be humbled, right? God is going to meet our greatest need, and he's going to take us through that. But we have to believe. The question is, do we believe that God can meet our greatest need? I think that's the question that we see here because this guy thought he needed one thing and he needed something else. And then the Bible says in Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And the thing I want to ask, and I'm not going to answer all the questions this morning. I'm going to raise some questions and leave them hanging out there this morning. Do you believe that God can actually meet your greatest need? Do you really believe that? 
Or is this thing with church coming on Sunday morning just to get information so you can go home during the weekend, like, you know, just live like whatever? Do we really believe that God can meet our greatest need? That's the question that came out of this first part. And I have to ask myself, do I really believe that? Do I live in such a way that I trust in God so much that when I have a need in my life or any need, that I ask God, God, hey, hey, meet my greatest need. And I step back and say, okay, whatever it is, do it to me. Do we, are we willing to do that? That's the first question that comes from this passage. Because I believe this, our faith has a direct bearing on what we will see God do in our life. Let me say that again. Our faith has a direct bearing on what we will see God do in our life. That's throughout Scripture. So I'll leave it hanging there this morning. That's the first thing, that, the first question that was raised there. Do I believe that God can meet my greatest need? The second thing is in verses 9 through 11. Let's, let's look a little further. As, okay, this guy had been healed. As then it says in verse 9, All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. They were in a temple. It's a very busy place. A lot of people were there uh, during this time of day because, once again, remember that the Jewish people, this, at this point in time, the church was uh, the Christians and was really settled in the temple, still in the temple. It was Jewish in nature at this point. It hadn't, hadn't got to Acts 10 yet when the Gentiles come into play. But uh, all the people were there because it was the prayer time. It says, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was a lame beggar who they'd seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were what? Some of your translations say uh, uh, amazed. Some of them say absolutely astounded. That's what it says in this translation. And then this is what they did. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and to John. How would you describe the reaction of the people? How would you describe it here? There was kind of like, church once again. Normal day at the temple. Nothing really big's happening. Is that the way they respond? No. They responded with what I would call awe and uh, amazement. They had wonder. And the question for me that raised out of this is this. You know, am am I filled with wonder and awe at the work of God? Are you filled with wonder and awe at the work of God? Do you see God in such a way working in people's lives, working in our world today, where you're amazed by some of the things that he does? That's a good question. We live in a culture where, man, we're not amazed by hardly anything because we got David Copperfield. I mean, he can make... I mean, I've, I've seen people, you know, make helicopters and, 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 you know, all kind of crazy things appear right on a stage in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you can do all kind of cool things. I mean, so what's the big deal with tricks? But I can tell you story after story after story of God, how God is at work in our world and what he's done in my life and what he's done in other people's lives. But the problem is, is we live in a culture that's cynical and skeptical. And these things are the enemies of awe and wonder. Uh, let me tell you the three enemies of awe and wonder. Cynicism. Cynicism is the, is an enemy of awe and wonder. Uh, you know, cynicism is this whole thing is I can't trust anybody. I'm just cynical of everything. Uh, I, and, you know, I, and it's like, uh, complete the sentence. I wasn't born yesterday. 
Yeah, oh, sorry, I forget. I have this mic in my hand. I have to keep dropping it. Usually, I'm not used to that. I wasn't born yesterday. I mean, you ever said that? You know, because you know, I've seen it all. I've heard it all. I wasn't born yesterday. I'm cynical. Fool me once. You've heard that one before. You know, the thing is, is that we live in this age where we see people and we look around and we and we're just cynical of people because we know how many people are not really real, and so we become cynical. And it's an enemy of all and wonder. Another uh, enemy of all and wonder is skepticism. Cynicism is I can't trust people. Skepticism is I can't trust what is happening to me, or the experience that I'm having. You know, we hear stories. I don't know if you ever heard stories like this, but I hear stories like this on a regular basis. Not every day, not even every week, but on a regular basis. Stories like, you know, somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Bill, you get, you would not believe what God's done in my life. That this was happening and, you know, and I had this need and God came and he met it in this incredible way and, and we hear that story and what is our first thing? Oh, the awe oh, and amazement of God. No. We become skeptical. We start thinking, I wonder what the real story is. You know, it wasn't, you know, you know, it wasn't that, you know, that God showed up. Maybe the IRS showed up or something and, and helped me with my need. The check came at the right time or, or something like that. But I can tell you that there's story after story after story in our culture. If we have our eyes open and we're looking for God, we will see God in amazing ways. But we've become so cynical and so skeptical. And finally, the third enemy of awe and wonder is fatalism. Fatalism. Fatalism is, uh, you know, kind of like this. Well, God made everything and he left us all alone. Yeah, God made everything, and God, but God's not really actively involved in the world. He's just kind of like left us all alone. So, it, you know, what will be, will be. And when people have, even Christians have this mindset many times, and I'll tell you how I know it's true. Because so often we don't really believe that God will answer prayer. We, we kind of think, well, well, God's out there and he's, I, I've heard it this way. When somebody's going through a traumatic situation, well, it was their time. Well, I'm sorry, folks. That means that God doesn't operate at all in our culture, in our world today. He doesn't do anything in our world today. We just become fatalistic that God kind of put put everything in motion and left it out there. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that God is a God who's involved. Now, it doesn't mean he answers every silly prayer we answer in the way that we'd want them answered. But it does mean that God is still involved. And one of the reasons that sometimes I'm prayerless and you're prayerless is because we just become kind of fatalistic. What will be, will be. There's nothing nothing that we can do about it because really God's kind of out there and left us all alone. And, uh, you know, so the people here, when they saw God at work, you're going to like, well, this is a miracle. I mean, the guy wasn't, you know, lame, walking. Do you think it's a miracle when uh, a couple who has been on the verge of divorce for years and years and years, and, and, they've, and they've gone through everything, and there's been adultery and all kind of stuff, when, they, when, when they're reconciled and their family gets back together and they're better than they were before, do you think that's a miracle? I'm thinking that's almost a bigger miracle than being healed of a sickness because there's a lot of baggage there. When, when your child that you've been praying for for years, who's who's gone off the deep end, uh, parents, that, I mean, I, I praise God that most of my kids are, are not that way. But, you know, I know how many parents that have prayed for their kids for years and years and years, and their kid comes to no, no Christ as an adult down the road and gets their life and their act together after years of prayer. Do you think that's a miracle? I believe it is. 
And the thing is, is so often in our world, we become cynical or skeptical or fatalistic in regard to our approach, and we're never filled with wonder and awe at the work of God, and we just forget that God's even at work. And so that's the second question. You know, the early church was a church, and and the church is the early church is not just a model, but it's a reality of what God hap- what happens in our lives when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and fills our life in such a way as believers, and we allow God to work in us. But the issue is, is that am I filled with wonder and awe at the work of God? Okay. The next section of Scripture is, says this in verses uh, 12 through uh, 13. It says, uh, Peter saw his opportunity. <laughs> Peter saw an opportunity to preach a sermon. Sounds like a preacher, right? They got a bunch of people together. Let's preach a sermon. It says he saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. And this is what he said. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? This This guy was healed. And why do you stare at us that we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? And then he reminds them of something. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. The people here, when they saw this happening, what was their immediate thing? They start to assign responsibility. Oh, it must be Peter and John that has this incredible power. But they knew. And then, then remember earlier on, Peter said, look, you know, he told the, the guy that was lame, he said, hey, look at me. I wonder if he was saying, hey, look at me. Could I possibly do anything to really help you? Do I look like a guy that has money? Do I look like a guy with influence? I mean, I'm a poor fisherman. Remember in Scripture, it's kind of weird. Every time you see Peter and John and all these guys who were fishermen fishing, the only time they ever catch fish is when Jesus shows up. Literally. Just think about it. Go through and read Scripture. They must have been the worst fishermen in the world. But the thing is, is that they come along and he said, you know, look at us. I mean, we're not even good at our profession. So do you think we have the power? To do something like this? You know, this kind of concept, you know, when something happens like this in our culture, it's almost foreign to our culture because we're so many people draw, we, we so much try to draw attention to ourselves. We want people to think, think good, you know, think well of us. But that something, something, uh, this should be repulsive or it should be something repulsive to the heart of a believer when God is working in our lives and, and somebody attributes, attributes to you, to me. It should be repulsive because we need to understand something. Once again, we need dependence upon God for God to work in our life. Going back to the very beginning, remember when Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1 8, or actually before that, to wait? And I shared with you before, these guys weren't like totally unprepared. They spent two to three years with Jesus, the seminary of Jesus, the best one in all of history. So it wasn't like these guys were prepared to do ministry. They had all the training they needed. But it wasn't training that helped them to become the, per- the persons that God wanted to be, to be the witness that God wanted to be. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God's power working in and through them that changed them and made them possible to do the things that God wanted to do. And so we see that lived and fleshed out here because the question is that I, looked, uh, I thought about here is, do I deflect God's glory from myself or I try to take God's glory? You know, you know, look at me, what I'm doing. You know, I, I've been to a lot of conferences over the years as a pastor, a lot of church conferences. And occasionally it's kind of like this. I, I, I don't mean to be, yeah, I do. I don't care. Uh, I was going to say I don't mean to be 
critical, but I ain't going to be critical. The issue is sometimes you go to a conference, and, and, and it's like some church is really going great guns. And you know what they really talk about? It's, they don't say this, but they kind of do. Look how clever we are. Look at this program, this process that we have going in place, and you know how it makes you know how how we've grown. But the reality is, is that what it's talking about here, what this scripture is talking about, and what Peter and John were talking about, is they deflected they deflected the, uh, the God's glory from themselves back toward God, because their their concept, their idea was this: it's not me, but Christ in me. I think that's even in scripture. Bob Cook, who was one of the founders of Youth for Christ, said this, if you can explain it, then probably God didn't do it. And so the thing is, is that so often when something, when God's at work, do we as individuals, as a church, do we say, hey, you know, the thing is, I don't want anybody, you know, I know it's good to have a good name in the community as a church and whatever, you know, Great Oaks Community Church, great church, whatever. And when people come to me or meet me somewhere and I share, you know, occasionally somebody, I'll run into somebody, usually pastors because they're the only ones that care, and, um, and from another church, and they'll say stuff like, wow, you know, great guy, great oaks, you know, that's, that's kind of that big church over in Germantown Hills. And I'm going like, oh, my gosh, not again. And, and the thing is, is that they, then they start talking about, you know, how long have you been there? Well, I've been here since uh, 2002. You've been through all the growth. Yeah, well, it's God has done it, though, folks. It's not Bill White. It's not the staff. It's not really cool leaders. It's God who has done the increase in our church. And if we don't understand it, if I leave tomorrow, which I'm not planning on, by the way, okay, uh, if I leave tomorrow, God's still going to be at work here if we allow him to be at work. And do we deflect God's glory? We try to grab God, grab the glory from God and make ourselves look better. You see, humility before God is an attribute of people who are letting the Spirit work in their life. You don't become proud because God is at work. You become humble and say, oh, it's God and God alone. So that's the third question. The fourth question comes out of the next part of Scripture. As, as Peter continues to teach here, he says this in verse 14. He says this, you rejected. He, he told him about, hey, it's not us. Then he says this. He looks at the people and he says this. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Talking about the man they just healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that you and your leaders did, uh, what, that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. And then in verse 19, he says this, Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus your appointed Messiah. He gives us a little mini-sermon here. And in the midst of this little mini-sermon, what I want you to look at is three quick things that he said. He spoke the complete message of God. Remember once again, Acts 1.8. What does it say? When the Holy Spirit comes, you, who's, who's you? You. Not only the disciples that were there, but everyone who comes following, following who are followers of Jesus, everyone who is there, that's the you, you will be my witnesses. All of us, not just pastors, not just you know, people that work with kids, 
not just people who, you know, are on the leadership team of the church. All of you will be my witnesses because you'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what's the message we're to have of the witness? Peter gives an example here. It's a complete message of God. Do I share the complete message of God? That's the question. And there's three components in this message to the complete message. First of all, in verses 14 through 16, what do we see? We see him telling the truth. He just said, hey, guys, this is what you did. This is your problem. He speaks the truth. The thing is, is when God calls us to, to share the message, you know, some truth is easier than other truths to share. Is that true? You know, truth like, well, God is love and he has some grace and mercy. Is that a good, is that easy to share? Sure. Everybody wants to hear that one. But sometimes the truth is God is also a righteous God, a God who has your best in mind. And so we need to understand you have some issues in your life. And so when we point out those issues in life, when we share truth, see part of the complete message that God will give us the boldness to do and the loving loving uh, nature to do because for instance parents just always telling your kids they're great without encouraging them in the areas where they're falling down if you're always protecting them always letting never let them never trying to encourage them to go in the right direction that's that's not that's not helpful never making them responsible for their own actions that's not helpful and so the thing is here is that peter's telling them he said hey guys you were responsible. You were the one who was responsible for, re, uh, for rejecting uh, Jesus Christ. And then he says, that's in verses 14 through 16, so he speaks the truth. But then he also, in verses 17 and 18, he, it's, it's, it's about grace. He says in verse 17, you know, friends, I realize that you, what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. He kind of gives them the benefit of the doubt here. He says, hey, guys, I know that you did this, but I don't really know. Does, does Peter know what's in their hearts and minds? Not really. He gives them the benefit of the doubt is what he does. He says he has grace. See, so often in life, you know, some people are, are truth people. You know any truth people? They love to speak the truth, no matter how painful it is. You ever been around a truth person? Don't you love truth people? You know, y'all are really quiet today. I don't know what the deal is, but you're just really quiet. Really, you're, you're really focused, but you're really quiet. But the thing is, you know, you know, I'm talking about a truth person. Sometimes you don't like to be around a truth person because they're just constantly. I mean, I'm talking to a person who has no grace but all truth. You know, uh, don't think of your relatives or something like that. You know, the thing is, there's, but the thing is, see, Peter was a complete message. It was about truth and about grace. We need to have both if we're going to give the complete message. We have to have grace, realizing that we're not just simply people who are called to share truth because guess what? We're sinners too. And we need God's grace, and so we need to extend God's grace to other people. But that's what that's what the complete message is here. Of, of In this really short little message that, that Peter teaches, he has truth and he has grace. In John 1.14, it says about who, who Jesus is. It says that we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. He has both in balance. When God gives us the ability and then the Holy Spirit comes in our life, it won't be just always going around to people telling them truth. It'll also be giving grace, both and, not either or. And there's a third thing that's in this passage, too. At the end of it, he gives them something else that we need to, it's so important. He gives them hope. He gives them hope. Verses uh, 19 and 20. 
He says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. He says, hey, guys, you messed up. You may have done it unintentionally. You may have done it intentionally. But the issue is there's hope. And hope is through Jesus Christ by turning your life to him, by allowing him to work in your life. I don't know about you guys, but I think it's pretty good to to do this part because isn't it good to know that no matter what your past has been, your best days can be ahead of you? Isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but that's important. Because unless all of you are just perfect... And you're going like, man, heck, can't eat better than this. I mean, look at me. No. I've looked at some of you. I know some of you. So the thing is, you know, <clears throat> you know, the thing is, is that, he, that the complete message of God, do we share the complete message of God? As we're a witness through the Holy Spirit, God, it'll be filled with, it'll be filled with truth, with grace, and with hope. The three things, the three ingredients that everybody needs to hear in their lives. And then Peter concludes the message with kind of a strange ending, but it's, it does have a place here in verses 21 through 26. I want to read this and make one comment and we'll close. Um, it says this, for he must remain talking about, uh, um, Jesus for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Then it says this. This is important. Listen carefully. It says he raises the prophet. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. And then in verse 23, then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. This was to a Jewish audience, was totally understandable. Basically saying there's people that's come before you, and they've had this message, this message of God, and now Jesus has come, and he has told this message. And the thing is, you're not just, and the word listen there may be a weak word in regard to the translation. It's more like heed what he says. Heed what he says. Then he says in verse 25, you're the children of, of those prophets, and you were included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you, the people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. And basically what he's saying here, and the question that came out of this is this, do I listen and obey God's message? Do I listen and obey God's message? That's what he says at the end here. Not just listen, but obey God's message. But because he says, if we don't, if we can listen to it, but if we don't obey it, if we don't change in a real sense and turn from our sinful ways, then we have missed the point because God's spirit is in our life for the purpose of change. Long before God, uh, before I, I tried to speak truth and before I would get on a stage or even began to speak to other people, other people spoke into my life many times. Other adults, other mature believers. Some of them were pastors. Some of them were uh, people who were just uh, good folks who would speak into my life and who who would share. And I listened to them. I listened to them as they encouraged me. I listened to them as they spoke truth into my life. And I listened to them as they gave hope. But I just, just, just didn't listen. I also responded. I heeded what they said. 
Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten lost and asked for directions? Anybody, anybody here? Anybody here? Guys, you can raise your hand. Have you ever gotten lost and asked for directions? Okay. No? Never? Never? Sad. Sorry, Jamie. I'm sorry. Um, he said, no, never. Oh, those who raised their hands, let's just say this. When you were lost and asked for directions and you stopped and, you, and maybe somebody rolled down their window and you got directions, how did you listen to them? Did you listen kind of like haphazardly or did you listen intently? Because what did you want to do? If you were really lost and you were asking for directions, you wanted to do what? You wanted to not only hear what they had to say, you wanted to do what? You wanted to follow directions after they gave you the directions. That's what it's talking about here. You not only listen, but you're listening because you want to do what God says. Do I believe that God can meet my greatest need? Am I filled with wonder and awe at the work of God? Do I deflect God's glory from myself? Do I share the complete message of God? And do I listen and obey God's message? Those are all things that people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit and living as God wants us to live, that's the picture of what the early church was like. That's the picture of what believers are to be. This is not just a historical document, the Bible. It's a document of truth. And it's truth that we not only need to listen to, but obey. Because let me tell you, folks, you know, you know just, just showing up for church on Sunday morning, just going through the motions, uh, if that's all you ever do, you're going to be really, really frustrated. Because the Christian life is lived out every day of the week in everything we do. And God's Word has direction and encouragement, and truth, and grace, and hope in every area of life. And as we continue this process of talking about the next week Chris is going to share with you the next passage of Scripture. And then I'm going to talk the following week about prayer. And then we're going to continue on this series as we end the month of August. And, and as we look at this, I hope that you'll not just simply see it as, oh, that was a really, that's a great study, the book of Acts. But it's something helpful because, truthfully, folks, ask yourself these questions this week. Am I doing these things in my life? Is it evidence because the Holy Spirit lives in my life or I'm just trying to, you know, strain real hard and do it? Because you'll never be able to do all these things unless the Holy Spirit directs and empowers your life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.